We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following the following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred and five. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey Into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's Journey Into Comics 269. I'm feeling fine. I am Nate. Today, joining me, ladies and gentlemen, he is the Jarvis inside my Iron Man suit, making me run perfectly smooth no matter what I am doing. The greatest voice to podcast in the entire universe. Welcome back, Tyler. I'm glad that you're not like dying of all of nature's ailments today like you're I'm, al- I'm almost back you're you're almost back you're like you're like wolverine in in uh the what was that 2014 2015's wolverine when you know he's got like that little robot on his heart you're i mean you're still logan you're just not firing on all cylinders so go ahead and uh slice yourself open and jab your hand in your chest cavity and get that little critter out of there. Yeah, I really need to. Something uh, trapped itself in my sinus cavity. It was like, hey, man, I'm just going to fucking camp out here and chill for a while. hope that's okay. <laughs> it's it's the it's the little critter from the Mucinex commercials. He really is it's in there, it, little it's bastard. Like, it's like Danny DeVito if he was a snot monster. Oh, Jesus <laughs> just, Christ. Just... Trapped in your sinus cavities, he's got like a, he's got like a sleeper sofa, and um, like a really really trashy like '80s hotel room coffee table, and a mini fridge. And, some, and for some for some reason, he's <laughs> dressed like a a Dollar General knockoff of the Big Lebowski. Yes, yep. Like he's got the wrong colored robe. You know, he's also Danny DeVito, so he doesn't look anything like the dude. He's clean-shaven, which is totally bizarre. But he's bald on top, of course. He's got, like, that really creepy... F- like, remember remember the hair that uh, that Danny DeVito had when he was the Penguin? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's the hair That's the hair that your Mucinex uh, little homunculus that you've got trapped in your sinus cavity's got right now. So Yeah, fuck that guy. I want to understand why, when you're sick like this... You can sneeze never-endingly and, like, try to, like, suck in to get shit to just, like, move in your sinus cavity. Mm -hmm. And you can be sneezing and doing that and nothing happens. Nothing fucking changes. It's like, 
it's like every time I take a brick down from the sinusy snot wall, he puts three more bricks up. I'm like, you fucking bastard. Have you ever tried Stop it? Have you ever tried one of those neti pot things? No, not after I read the fucking terrifying internet shit where that lady died. Yeah. Like And I was like, No, thank you. I will not have a weird <laughs> parasite from a plastic neti pot go into my brain meats and kill me dead. <laughs> Fuck that. Oh man, like like there are fucking gross ways to die, bro, and I'm and I'm freaked out by seeing them. There was some lady who, she kept all the snakes for the like Georgia Police Department or some shit, like all the snakes that they had recovered from houses of people that had either been deceased or you know seized or whatever. whatever. Yeah, and they fucking found her with a boa constrictor around her neck and killed her. Dude, we we had a lady. Uh here in Tippecanoe County with like uh like I can't remember if it was 170 or almost 700 snakes in her house but she was found dead uh last week or the week before with a fucking boa around her neck I think that's the story I read yeah I think that's the same lady yeah it's fucked up man that's crazy insane like Oh, I'm just living my life with all these snakes that I've been feeding rats and shit. And then one of them's like, hey, motherfucker, fuck you. Well, it's like, I win. Like, I, I'm not going to tell someone, like, what pets they, they, they can and can't keep. You know, uh, like, if you got a fucking Bengal tiger or a chimpanzee, like, on your property, that's pretty dumb. A monkey will eat your face. Oh, yeah, they'll fuck you up, man. Animal Planet, Animal Planet made sure that I don't want to keep chimpanzees in my house. Um,. But it's like, you know, like reptiles are really neat and like, you know, like Dave, Dave's got uh, a snake and a bearded dragon, Lemmy the bearded dragon. And they're, you know, they're cool to interact with and they're they're cool to watch. But it's like there gets there gets to a point like with the crazy cat people that are hoarders and, you know, when they clean their house out, they find dead cats and shit like the same thing goes with snakes. You don't need 700 snakes, like maybe stop at four, you know. Um, and especially four, just four, not 400. Yeah. Four. And, and it's like, you know, I've watched enough Steve Irwin and Jeff Corwin and, you know, all the, the TV personalities from my childhood that, that grizzly man, grizzly man. I mean that, that, uh, promoted conservation and, you know, animal education and stuff like that. Hold on. My alarm clock's going off on my phone. I got to shut it off. Give me just a second. That's funny timing because the train of our existence is blowing through all at the same time. So it's like the alarm is so, going off. I mean, the train of our existence is happening. The universe is trying to sorry. slow us down. It's okay. Don't be sorry. I, I forgot to turn it off. But like it, I, I watched enough of that shit and read enough books as a kid. I know that like a boa constrictor or a python of, it, of, of any kind, you know, when they go to squeeze, like they are – they have evolved – that ability to uh, squeeze the life out of shit, and they're not, and it it doesn't matter if it's a human neck or a rat or a fucking like a like a gibbon, like a little monkey, like they are there to squeeze the life out of whatever is in their coil, uh, and they're not gonna stop until it's dead, you know. So Correct. I've also seen uh, videos of of like. Uh, actors and actresses performing and 
you know, like I remember remember the the image of Britney Spears with the big um, the big ball python on her arms and her, like over yeah. her shoulders, like. I would video music awards. Yeah, I would never in a like I'm not afraid of snakes, but I would never in a million years put myself in that position because yeah, because you're either gonna have to kill that snake if it starts to strangle mm-hmm. you, or you're gonna die. Right, and you know I, I I've seen the videos of of people getting strangled, and it takes like ten fucking buff ass dudes way bigger than me to. You know, basically break that that snake's grip and uncoil it. It it doesn't just let go, like it has it has incentive to not let go, so it's not going to. It's, it's literally in its nature yeah. to do that. It's it's just, it's sad. You know, you 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 don't want to see anybody pass away, but it's like here here's your sign from the universe that that you flirted with danger enough, and you know you fucked up. So Darwin Award of yep. the Year goes to you. Didn't learn from your mistake the first three hundred times. Here on time number three hundred one, you're not going to get the opportunity to make that mistake again. So, Ooh. man, that's crazy. You know, it's also fucked up. I read this thing the other day just to talk about weird, morbid shit because we don't ever do that on this show. Welcome to Journey into Comics. What's up, <laughs> motherfuckers? Uh, <laughs> we're on fire today, as they say. the The boys are spicy today. Uh, I saw this fucking thing where this lady was living with her son's remains for 20 years. That's messed up, man. She did not know. She was a hoarder. Dude, she was a hoarder, okay? And hoarders, you know, they have bad smells and shit. You know, that's just right. their lives or whatever. And apparently he was like, he just like died in a chair and some shit had fallen on him and she just thought he went missing. They found him. In her fucking house, bones, decrepit as shit. Jesus Christ, man. 20 years. Two zero. Like, how old of a of a, of a a son? Oh, I think he was, like, in his early to mid-20s or something. I don't... He wasn't, like, a super old dude. Wow. Well, I mean, he would have been 40 if he would have lived, but, you know. Man, that's fucked that up. Clearly, that wasn't in the plan. Right? Like, probably a slightly bigger dude just had, like, a heart problem or something, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't really know all the details, but, you know. Jesus, damn it's it. still... Poor bastard. Totally fucking dark. Mm. I guess we're talking about sad shit today on Journey into Comics, folks. Welcome. Join us. Give us your tears. Well, we do have, we do have some sad stuff to talk about that's not all sad. Um, normally it's a little bit more rage and fury filled, but I watched a movie yesterday, which is one of my favorite, and and when I say favorite, I mean it's one of my absolute favorite movies of my adult life, and that's 2017's Logan. How did you feel about that film? Uh, it's a very deep, heavy hard to digest pill of a movie in a good way mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is the way they hyped that movie up and i bitched about it years ago but i'll bitch about it again here i'm sorry but you're gonna turn my hard dick for logan completely soft the minute you use hurt by johnny cash as oh a way to yeah sell me on the movie because first of all 
you're playing at the heartstrings. That song's already an emotional song, and it can just choke you up just if you're even fucking having half a heart and thinking about anything important in your life. That The lyrics are just too spot on with reality. So uh, then you couple that with the fact that there was this big media push of this is Hugh Jackman's final fucking movie as Wolverine. And it's like, okay, they really are laying it on thick. However... I thought the movie was extremely well executed. I, the movie itself, uh, just to, to, to briefly finish this, the movie itself hit on every tone it needed to hit on to be the perfect movie it was. I you know, I think as far as the, and we talked about this a little bit pre-show, um, so we're, we're prepared for at least some of the, the off-the-wall things that I'm going to say, but like as far as as Logan of the movies containing or related to Marvel comic book characters Logan is my favorite and I have I have a at least in my opinion which is normally the unpopular one for most people the best way that I can describe that movie one word it's it's a masterpiece because you have probably, and I'm I'm just gonna go out and say it. You know, all respect to Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth and um, Chris Evans as far as the, you know, the the three prodigal children of, of of Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Logan is part of, or not necessarily the movie, but but the character, and and what I mean by that is Hugh, Hugh Jackman's casting as Logan and Wolverine really opened the door for not only the ability of maybe not necessarily unknown, but but less known actors to he laid the groundwork for these people to become, you know basically the most popular actors in Hollywood. I mean, it's that's a little bit going out on a limb saying that, but at least in Robert Downey Jr.'s case, you know, the last uh, Avengers movie made him a billionaire. So... No, you're not wrong, and I think that Hugh Jackman, to, to further drive home your point, I think what you're trying to kind of say is he's really like the godfather yes. of these superhero movies, and not to say that he's the absolute first, okay? I don't want people to get crossed because obviously Kilmer and and Clooney and all these other guys in the in the archetype of movies came before. Kevin and, Costner and your for Keatons sure. And and uh, your uh, Keaton's what I meant uh, to say. Uh, Christopher Reeves mm-hmm. comes to mind. I mean, there's all these different people that have played all these characters differently. However, the first time that it was like, hey, here's a comic book movie. Take it seriously. It's not fucking dorking around. We cast this guy. He looks the fucking part. He acts the fucking part. He is the fucking guy. Like, invest in it. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is actually pretty good. Like, 2000 X-Men, really fucking good. Mm-hmm. X2 is definitely a step down, but okay, It's sure. better than the third one. The third one never happened. <laughs> Days of Future Past ratified that piece of shit. Right. Uh, so, sorry, I'm just going to keep it real with you folks. That's absolutely what happened. Uh, but I I really do think that Hugh Jackman, uh, 
he's made all these people that are now millionaires. He made them stars because he was the guy that like he franchised his role and said, I'm going to, I'm going to assign my life to this character, Mm -hmm. I guess. And they were like, Oh shit, that actually kind of works. If you stick with it, people kind of dig that shit. Right. He's the first guy to really do it. Well, he he also played the character longer than everyone than anyone else, to my knowledge. He played Wolverine for seventeen years, you know, from to, from two thousand to twenty seventeen, and then cameo appearances after that. So, like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth are obviously you know the other three that have had a very long running tenure. Um, but but Hugh Jackman is the man, and if you look at how complex of a movie Logan is, you've got a character who, if you're not a diehard fan of the character like ourselves, uh, every time you've seen him, an extreme circumstance has to be put into place for him to even remotely acknowledge that he could maybe be hurt or die. And then, you know, with the, with the script of Logan, and, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, folks, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a three-year-old movie at this point. But, like, you know, the, the adamantium frame that he was uh, gifted or, or forced to take, depending on what, um, how that plot device is used in the individual stories, you know, because it, it varies. Um but the adamantium is fucking killing him because his his body has had to constantly heal from it from the time that he got it until you know where he's at in the in in that timeline at least as far as old man logan goes it's fucking killing him it's poisoning him and seeing seeing Hugh Jackman's character exhibit emotion other than rage, you know, like true emotion, the, the the total spectrum throughout the movie and throughout those 17 years as the character, the performance that he gives in Logan is, is in my opinion, the best performance that he's given in any movie ever. Um, not just Marvel movies, not just X-Men movies. I mean, his total career. That is, that is one of the... That should have been an Oscar-winning performance all day. Uh, I agree. Absolutely. You know, I mean, just, it's it's a story of a character being totally set in their ways and a character that is supposed to be beyond redemption and, you know, doesn't even consider that they have the ability to maybe change and they're just hanging on and going through the motions and, you know, with... With Laura X twenty three in the story, you know, you see that bond develop, and we see that in a lot of movies, and we always hype it up and we talk about it, and it's always meaningful. But but watching Logan sacrifice himself essentially at the end of the film, and that exchange of you know you're watching the unkillable character breathe his last breath, and you watch the light go out or the lights go out, and you see Laura call him daddy right before he passes away and he acknowledges it you know as as oh, yeah. as a fan as a father as just a fucking regular human dude it tears me up 
every single time, and it will every time I fucking watch that movie forever. Because it it, it is like just that that final, you know, that last fifteen twenty minutes of the movie is pure entertainment, writing and and acting at the at the highest possible level that you can give. And it's a movie that is 100% forgotten about and overshadowed by uh, the last couple Spider-Man movies and Endgame. And and it's sad because I don't think that it deserves that. That movie uh, stroked you right in the feels, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is an emotional roller coaster of why the fuck should he care about this little girl? You know, he's got Charles... He, fucking creepy ass albino Caliban's like Charles's nursemaid. You know, yeah. I, I've just been hyping up um, uh, Hugh Jackman's role in that movie. Look at fucking Charles. Patrick Stewart killed it in that film. That is that is one of the best performances. That is totally different than than ninety nine percent of the of the of the moments that you will ever see. Patrick Stewart on screen. He is gritty, and there's a reason that we're talking about Logan, folks, and it's not just because I watched it yesterday. It's because of how, with the rebirth of X-Men, that movie, not necessarily the storyline, but but the characters and how different that they are from, from how they normally interact with each other and, and just act on an individual level, how that relates to the rebirth of X-Men. I mean, we've talked about it for weeks and weeks at this point with House of X and Powers of X, and Logan is a character that has been mildly featured in the series. You know, it's mostly about Charles and <clears throat> and Magneto, and I, I, I think that it, at least my hope is with with the the rebirth of X-Men in this new X-Men series post Powers and House I really hope that they get to focusing on Wolverine stories again because if they can if they can um if they can spin a yarn that's even as remotely close to what I watched on my TV yesterday uh at least with Logan, you know, I will be, I will continue to be a fan for the rest of the time that character exists. You know, the old man Logan uh, comic story is one of my favorites that I've ever read. Fuck yeah. That's uh, an amazing run uh, of comics. They definitely took chances there. You know, that storyline is a lot different than the movie, obviously, because that storyline more focuses on the death of other heroes and, like, the fallout of that and shit and whatnot like that. But, but like, and has a fucking a symbiotic T-Rex dinosaur, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. which is fucking incredible. But, like, uh, one thing that really made, I think, Logan even more impactful is if you watched the previous films, like you were saying... Hugh Jackman has this body of work, and there's an interesting line in the second Wolverine movie because there's like X Men Origins Wolverine, which fuck that movie, it's not good. I'm right. just gonna be real. They fixed that in Deadpool too. Yeah, but then there was the Wolverine. Okay, right. you know that one. I right? watched that they one had, like, today. Silver Samurai. Okay, well, there's a scene I'm pretty sure in there where the fucking I can't. She's like Lady Deathstroke essentially. Uh. She says that she's seen how Logan dies, and it, he's holding his own heart in his hands, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And 
technically she's a hundred percent correct. Right. Cause he's holding X 23. He's holding Laura and it's just like, Oh my God. Like kill me dead moment. Like you can't write more impactful stuff like that. And it was just simple attention to detail, you know, mm-hmm. and true, true to form of that character. You know, they've traveled Logan far and wide, made him do all kinds of crazy shit. He's been involved in all kinds of things. You've got to see him play with, sentinels and colossus and every every fucking thing you can imagine you know right but when you come to his emotions and you really break it down and you force it into this different box where there's very limited story to tell because essentially the whole movie is time is running out for everyone involved Mm -hmm. uh it drives up the stakes and it just made his performance that much more impactful i think right well, I mean, like with Lo- like with the with the character of Logan, seeing him have moments of weakness is not that's not what that character is. You know, he is rage and fury and he's a smart mouth that, you know, he's not wisecracking jokes like like Wade Wilson, but he's not afraid to throw in a bub here and there. Um, He's not also a whiny bitch like Scott Summer. Sorry, Scott. Thank you. I, if you weren't gonna say it, I was going to, and it would have hurt me to say it. But I'm glad that you did it because it's true. It's true, man. Um, He's a whiny bitch. I love Scott Summer's character, but he is the whiniest fucking human mutant in existence. But he, I mean, Logan is is. I'm not gonna say the most important X Men, but he's one of the most important for sure. You know, we would have never had the um, the Dark Phoenix storyline if it wasn't for that love triangle or, or that relationship between Logan and Jean Grey. I don't think anyway. I mean, you, you might disagree with me, but... I mean, well, no, I think that that perfectly fueled the Phoenix slash Dark Phoenix story because it plays on all of Jean's uh, darker inhibitions. And opened her up, and I think it gave herself a little bit more to Wolverine. It gave her opening up to Scott more and being more forceful. And, of course, at some point, she gave it up to both there with the Devil's Triangle. And right. uh, we know how that ends, according to uh, the spoilers. We've talked about House of X, Powers of X, and where they're going with that. But don't want to get too far ahead there. You know, I think that Fox actually did the right thing with Logan. They bowed out the right way. Mm-hmm. I think Dark Phoenix is a huge misstep. But like, hey, we got this guy. He needs to get off the bus. The bus is going to crash into the ravine. But we can stop and let everybody off the bus. But we're just going to let this guy off. Oh, and, and also Patrick Stewart. Also, Well, I, I, I got some interesting information yesterday in relation to Dark Phoenix. Do you know why Logan wasn't... Specifically, Hugh Jackman, Logan, wasn't featured in the movie at all? No, I don't know. Because the on-screen interactions between Hugh Jackman being uh, almost double Sophie Turner's age would have been uncomfortable, according to the director. I mean, she wouldn't have given a shit, dude. Sophie Turner's a fucking freak. She's married to one of the Jonases and flashing her titties and all this kind of weird shit like she is a freak it would not have mattered i mean sure 
maybe for the respect of like Hugh Jackman, like he's an older gentleman. He essentially is probably like almost a grandfather at this point, mm-hmm. if not already a grandfather. Like it could be weird for him, but like, fuck, dude. Gotta get you that Sansa ass. Right. <laughs> I I I I still have not seen um the Dark Phoenix yet, and I don't know. I mean, I'm going to just so I can say that I put that to bed. Um, I mean, you can also say that you wasted two hours of your life by trying to suck yourself off, and you'll probably get just as far. <laughs> I I don't know. Um. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like I have to see it just to just so I can I don't know, it's tough to say. So I can so I can just put that series behind me. Um You need closure. Yes, I need some closure because Dark Phoenix was you know, from everyone that I've talked to said it was awful. Uh I thought Apocalypse was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. You know, when when I, as I journeyed through the X-Men franchise, you know, just in general, Ooh. I loved the first one as a kid. I remember watching that VHS tape that I had so many times I damn near wore it out, okay? I loved that movie. The second one, pretty good. Not great, not as good as the first one, but pretty okay, I remember going to The Last Stand in theaters and looking at my aunt who took me and asking to leave because it was just bad on every level. The acting was bad. The writing was bad. Uh, some of the castings were awful. You know, it's just, you know, I was I was a teenager and I was like, hey, can we leave? Because this is, this is fucking dog shit. And I thought with, you know, first class and 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 um, days of futures past and and, and the, the, basically the the young X Men uh, franchise that we got, I thought that they were gonna really start to turn things around. And in reality, that that series wasn't any better than the first one. And it had the potential to be absolutely. Honestly. You know, Michael Fassbender as Magneto, incredible. James McAvoy, not my favorite uh, Professor X, but that's mostly because who's going to beat Patrick Stewart, you know? Um, no one. No one. Um, uh, and, and I thought for a long time that at least for old Magneto, no one would be better than Ian McKellen, but Michael Fassbender is so incredible that I think that they are on the same spectrum. You know, um, and I'm not saying that McAvoy doesn't have the talent that that Patrick Stewart does. It's just Patrick Stewart has, you know, like what, 50 years of acting experience at this point. Traveled miles, bro. Yeah, he's I'm, got he's got a he's a different tenured kind of actor. Yeah, you know, I mean honestly. he's he's got the mileage, man. I mean he's fucking uh, he's Captain Picard. Like that that shit means something. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's tough. It's tough. I, I, I mean, fe- real. I, I stand by it though. It, it really, I hate to say it, but Dark Phoenix is such a waste of a movie. Because, and I've said, and I said it. We we briefly touched on it. Like, it wants to be a good movie so hard, 
And it like it, it it's the Chicago Bears of movies. At least the Chicago Bears this year, for sure. Of this year, yes. I mean, they won today. It's a miracle. I mean, they did play the worst defense in the NFL. Yeah, but I mean, you've got the worst quarterback in the NFL. Ouch. I thought he did okay today, but shots I digress. Fi- shots fired, my man. Shots fired. So, sorry that I don't have 87-year-old fossil fucking Tom Brady. Hey, we can win. That's all that matters. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we we oh, are sorry. we are going to get to Powers of X number five uh, for anyone that is listening to us up until this point. I just had some things that I wanted to talk about in the beginning. The X-Men, you know, we've said it week to week, is one of the most important or at least relevant franchises to our socio-economical political climate that we have right now. Um, Word. And, you know, it's a story of, of, of everyone mattering. You, you know what I mean? Like... We said it weeks ago. It's not exclusive. It's not inclusive. It's just... Anti-exclusive. Yes. I mean, it's it's just people coexisting, and it, it tells the stories that need to be told. And I really look forward to not finishing House and Powers because it's been a great, it's been a great series so far, but I really want to dive into the rebirth of the X-Men and watch that unfold in real time because, I mean, how many times have we been able to do that in our lifetime and and say that in a positive manner? Not very many times, at least for me. Well, I mean, and when you think about it, the first official rebirth of the X-Men is from Team 1 to Wolverine's first team. Mm Mm-hmm. Which that rebirth is kind of out of necessity, and there's a lot we could tangent into about why that happened and everything, and the fact they were republishing old uh, X Men stories because they really had quote unquote no stories at that time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, you had years later in the '90s, you have another re- quote unquote rebirth with the X Men series coupled with the animated series they were trying to cash in and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't really, as fans, know we were kind of on the hype train. I think you look back at the stories and you're like, uh, they didn't really have the greatest stories. Sure, they introduced some cool characters, but overall a swing and a miss. And in the early aughts, you had attempts to make the X-Men ultra-relevant. And even, I mean, even in 2013, they did the Uncanny X-Men story. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, again, an attempt to do right by this series. And... Uh, this time I'm throwing caution to the wind. I think they're doing it right this time. Right. Well, and, and you know, part of the reason why I wanted to have this Logan slash Wolverine conversation at the beginning of the show is is not only have I had a weekend filled of, of like, Hugh Jackman and Logan reminiscing on my part, um... Like, if you if you were going to sit down with someone, this is the question I wanted to ask you. If you were going to sit down with someone who is not super familiar with the character of Logan slash Wolverine, like myself, who is in my, uh, I'm just going to say it, top 
top three, top five, somewhere in there. You know, we've talked about how the Hulk and Venom mean something to me as a person. Logan's pretty high up there for me. Um, suck it, Scott Summers, Cyclops. You're not as cool as Lo- as Wolverine. I mean, let's just say Never it. Never gonna be. Let's just say Never it. Never gonna be. I mean, um, he's a fucking he, he's a force of nature that very few things can stop. But if you were gonna sit down to the or sit down with the X Men Virgin, okay, and okay. we're and we're talking not necessarily just things that that focus on Logan. What stories would you recommend? For that person to really dive into. Reading wise? Yes. Oh man, this is a fucking awesome question. Because oh. me personally, not just because of my love of the movie and you know, you already said it, the, the storyline differs so much from the movie that we got in twenty seventeen, but I love the old man Logan storyline. I love it. It's it's one of my favorites that I've ever read. So that would be one of my recommendations, but that's not necessarily a good one for somebody new to the character to jump into it jump into their kind of mythos, you know. That's that's the end of an era kind of storyline. So, I mean, what recommendations do you have off the top of your head? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious a lot of people are going to say you know, your Days of Future Past is a great storyline just because in the comics, the way they do it is so different. There, I feel like there are real stakes in the comic when you read that story. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you just... It's really weird because there's a very special time from like X-Men 101 to X-Men like 136. So that's like three years worth of material. And so, th- so there are several different little runs that happen in there. It's the Phoenix storyline into the Hellfire Club storyline into the Dark Phoenix storyline into the Death of the Dark Phoenix storyline. You know, that whole run is absolutely stellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you're like uh, X Men two nineteen through two twenty two debut of Mister Sinister is a really cool little sub story to read. Uh, there is, uh, if you go way back, way, 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 way back, like X-Men, Uncanny X-Men 12 and 13, a really fun little mini-series uh, to read is the debut of Marco Kane, a.k.a. Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I really do, like, genuinely love that little mini-series and just his debut and his uh, comeuppance and whatnot. Uh, you know, there's... I mean, it's it's really hard to say. You go to like, uh, it, it's a single issue story, but X Men uh, Uncanny X Men two sixty six, the first appearance of Gambit mm-hmm. is a really fun issue to talk about. Um, did you? I'm all over the place. Did though, you care? Honestly. Did you care for um, the origin stories? Origin, um, origin has deep roots, and and origin two. Like uh, the Wolverine origin. Yes. Okay, so that if we're talking about Wolverine exclusively, let's just put all of X Men on a shelf for a minute. Because if we focus on Wolverine, has had so many amazing solo arc stories. Origin, I absolutely hands down agree, is one of the greatest 
most original stories, like telling his his history, his backlog story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weapon of X is another absolutely stunning story to read. Yeah. The art is very cool and stylistically different. Uh, I think there's a series called The End. I need to look up one second. Uh, there's also, uh, there's also Wolverine, I want to say, or no, 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 maybe there wasn't a Wolverine of that. I think it was just Hulk, Spidey, and Daredevil. Yeah, okay. Uh, Wolverine Comics. Um, there we go. That's what I'm looking for here. So yeah, Death of Wolverine is another great story. Mm-hmm. That was more recent. I think that was like 2015. Um, trying to think here. You, we already talked a little bit about, obviously, Old Man Logan is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And why it's so awesome. Uh, I wish I was in the other room. Where I have all of my Wolverine uh, trades. One of the ones that I one of the ones that I really liked was I think it was nineteen, I want to say ninety seven or ninety eight, but Wolverine Not Dead Yet was a pretty good, Ooh, pretty good yes, one. Yes, it's another great one. Yes. Uh, you you did say Weapon X, right? Oh, yeah, Weapon X. I was talking a little bit about the art. The art's absolutely old school, beautiful, like, just when you, when I think Wolverine, like, the Weapon X comic is what I think mm-hmm. of. And that that one's like 12 or 13 books, isn't it? It's it's pretty substantial. Uh, yeah, Weapon X is over the course of, oh, God. I want to say it was exactly a year. It's 12, yeah. Uh, there's, oh, 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 what? Oh. I cannot think of what it's, I'm like right by my uh, Wolverine comics. There's a, a Wolverine sub-series called like Wolverine Natsuke or something. Okay. Uh, I'm not familiar I'm with that one. At, I'm looking it up. Uh, it was, yeah, Wolverine Netsuke, okay? And it was a four-book miniseries told in ancient Japan mm. where he's a samurai. Yeah. And it's, it, dude, you would absolutely love it. It's a George Pratt comic. He's, I mean, not an ultra-popular guy, but the, the arc is really fucking cool. Sweet. <clears throat> I've been, uh... Oh, also, Wolverine versus Hulk is a four-part book. I think it came out in two thousand five or six. It's another one that's pretty fun. Yeah, they actually uh, made they actually made a cartoon series that was like a couple mini specials based on that book. Yes, I remember that. Which is because then then they do like Hulk versus Thor right after that. Yep, and Wolverine is featured. So they did. They did Hulk versus Wolverine, which was based on you know the comic series, obviously, and then immediately after that, uh, they did Hulk versus Thor, which in that uh, little 
I don't I don't even know if I want to. It's not a series. It's it's literally just like a mm, like a mini movie or 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 whatever you want to call that. I I, I the words right <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. But, a small story arc, uh, like a a special uh, a vignette. Of, yeah, something like that. But you know, in that in that cartoon, I remember watching it on Netflix. Like uh, Loki basically possesses Hulk to where Bruce Banner can't regain control, and he's Hulk all the time. And they go to Asgard, and Loki uses Hulk to kill Thor, like just straight murders him. And then Wolverine's there, and he gets involved because he, you know, he has cheesy lines like, kind of like Stan, or not Stan Marsh, Randy Marsh when, hey, hey Hulk, I didn't hear no bell, you know, like, he wants that fight to, he he wants that fight to continue, so, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good watch for a cartoon, you know. Thought you were the toughest guy, Hulk, Mm -hmm. huh? Just antagonizing the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. I feel like as we continue um, to get a little bit more invested in comics, at least from, from my perspective, uh, as we keep going on the show, I feel like when we've got characters that... Not necessarily just characters, but, like, Hugh Jackman has said and, and went on record to say many times that if Disney says, hey, we've got a massive movie along the scope of Infinity War Endgame and we want you to play Wolverine he said he would come back for that you know hands down no questions asked give me the script maybe don't even pay me I'll be there to play Wolverine because that is his character Um, I want to break your heart I want to break your heart right now please don't I think it's a bad idea for him to come back as Wolverine at this point but why well, let me explain why, okay? And it's the, it's one word, starts with an L, ends in longevity. And here's why. If I get Hugh Jackman in a fucking X-Men or in a Marvel movie alongside of the Avengers one time, and he's already 56 goddamn years old, he's not going to be Wolverine till he's 70, bro. It's not going to work. I'm just, I'm keeping it real. And I would much rather see a young, fresh buck in there killing it just being the next fucking Hugh Jackman, as it were, but you're, that we can get twelve movies out of. Here's here's the only caveat to that, though. You're already assuming that they're going to kill it as the character. That no matter what, subconsciously you are going to judge against Hugh Jackman, no different than me. Every time they walk on screen, they are. Well, of course, we're going to compare to Hugh Jackman, but you they're doomed again, to fail. But Marvel has doomed to do nothing but succeed. That's their doom. Wow. I mean, every time we're like, I don't know about this casting. Who the fuck is Chadwick Boseman? Oh my God, Black Panther, Lord. You know what the fuck? Mm-hmm. What you're casting? Michael B. Jordan is your is your bad guy. He was a terrible Human Torch. What are you thinking? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. You know, like they get it right a lot of times. So as far as casting, I think. Maybe if it's like an alternate universe story or Marvel zombie story or some shit like that they're trying to tell on the big screen, cool. But to bring you Jackman in and try to give him any longevity run, 
What are you going to do? Have him in one movie and kill off Wolverine after one movie? That'd be fucking stupid. Yeah. I don't disagree with you there. No, I know. It's it's really difficult to think about it like that, man. But it's like they kind of have painted themselves in a box. It's sad. I've said. Yep. Tyler said. Tyler said, said like, said like crying boy. Mm-hmm. Crying boy with much tears. Mm-hmm. Much tears. Big angry. Because, I mean, like, we've talked about it a couple times on the show, but it's like, who in God's name would you, would you cast? You know? Um, uh, Egerton? No. Tom Hardy's already Venom. I don't want to see him as anyone else. Uh, hmm. Uh, Charlie Hunnam? Daniel Radcliffe. Fuck you. <laughs> I want to see Daniel Rad- Radcliffe as fucking Logan slash Wolverine as much as I want to see fucking um, Robert Pattinson as Batman. I don't want to see it. <laughs> okay. Uh... Alternately, let's see who else could play Wolverine that would be actually probably pretty good. Um, let's go with. I've got I've got one guy that you've probably never heard of, but maybe you have. I'm not sure. Okay, shoot, shoot. He's he's pretty unknown as far as you know mainstream Hollywood goes, but it's Justin Thoreau. I know that name. Uh, I'm just gonna read you a quick little write up that I found right before we did this. Isn't show. he the prime? Isn't he the prime minister of Canada? No, not that guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you might not know this, but Justin Thoreau has already been a part of the MCU. He worked as a screenwriter on 2010's Iron Man 2, but in the years following, has received much acclaim for his acting chops. From 2014 to 2017, Thoreau starred on HBO's The Leftovers, a show with a setting that is very similar to the world Thanos created post-Snap. Here, the actor portrayed Kevin Garvey, a chief of police struggling to deal with the sudden disappearance of 2% of the Earth's population. Uh, As Kevin, Thoreau displayed a chemistry set of emotions, loss, fear, hope, and sometimes these mixed together in bursts of combustible anger. It's from this role that I think Thoreau has shown the perfect qualities to play Wolverine, a character who must not only be an unstoppable presence, but have heart and vulnerability under that adamantium skeleton. So, um, I've watched a little bit of that show, and I'm, I'm familiar with the actor because of that show, and I looked up um, like some some like mashups of what would all of these rumored people possibly look like as Wolverine. And for me, he's a guy that I've seen enough of in such a small dose that I feel like it would be, uh, maybe, maybe pretty tasteful. Um, but I don't know, man, like there is no one in Hollywood that I'm just like, yep, uh, just plug them in there. They'll, they'll do well, you know? It's tough. I think it's difficult because not only do you have to nail the right the right person to like portray that personality, you also have to nail somebody who's the right height. 
you can't have a giant ass Wolverine because right. then everybody on your team has to be bigger than him because it's always portrayed that he's kind of a little guy. Yep. So you got to have a kind of smaller dude, and you also got to have kind of a like I said, he's still got to be in the ballpark. I'm saying no older than thirty. Okay. Like I, I'm out of. I guess I'm out of the running for Wolverine. I can't do it, guys. Sorry, because I just put myself out of the running. Well, but. I am a uh, short little guy with lots of pent up anger and rage, and I'm not thirty yet. So go ahead and give me a call, Disney. I will. I will bulk up. I will lose lose some of this flab, and I will yell a lot and slice people. So give, go ahead and okay, give me a so call. Okay, so now I'm gonna play Mr. Hypothetical right back to your court here, young sir. Disney hears this podcast and tomorrow gives you a call. I mean, how fast do you shit in your pants? Immediately. And what would you do? To live up to the hype that is one Hugh Jackman, <laughs> cry a lot. Um, That—that's how you're gonna handle it. You're just gonna cry. You're not gonna man up and just be like, "Go berserk on this motherfucker." Well, on 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 screen, I would do that. But like, I'm sitting in my trailer, getting ready to go on scene, and I'm just fucking. I'm hysterical, just crying. Like I may or may Damn, not be bro. wearing pants. Whoa! Just because. I'm, but you're wearing the top half of the Wolverine yes, jumpsuit. I'm just even too, the mask. I'm just too yes. I'm just too <laughs> distraught to uh, you know put my pants on because it's like there's the humor too of all the the Deadpool stuff and you know his fascination with with the character and with Hugh Jackman in general. You know that's all been brought into the movies and it's you know it's funny and and we we like laughing at it as a fan base. So it's like you. You know, I obviously would get you involved somehow, like my manager or or the guy getting me coffee, something. I'm you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get you on that that Marvel Studio set, and you know you walk into my trailer. I'm sobbing uncontrollably. I don't have any pants on, and I have Hugh Jackman's uh, a, ma- a magazine cutout of Hugh Jackman stapled to my face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. I would be like, first of all, you need to put some pants on. And you're like, Nate, I'm too distraught to even wear pants, bro. I can't even wear <laughs> pants. I can't I mean I can't even be bothered to put on my pantaloons. <laughs> oh man. You know? There's there's so many stories that we didn't get, and instead we got crap. Crapola, crap, crap with a cherry on top. With um, X2, X3, and all the other crap. Massive Ted sandwich. We could have had we could have had year after year of fucking beautiful bean footage involving Hugh Jackman. And I'm pissed about it. I'm sad. I'm pissed. I'm not wearing any pants. I'm gonna start crying soon. I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I go out to I go out to Feige. I'm like, hey, Feige. Uh, he doesn't have any pants on. Uh, he's not wearing pants. <laughs> and he's like, is that a metaphor for he's like wearing the X Force pants? I'm like, no, dude. He's just free balling in his in his in his trailer. It was very very disturbing to see the. <laughs> I was seeing the chestnuts roasting on the open fire, and it was a little too much for me. <laughs> Damn it. 
Oh, but it, it's like shit. part of, you know again as as long-winded and uh hard to understand as I normally am like are we going to get Hugh Jackman going forward no are we going to get someone that devotes themselves to the character on the on the silver screen the same way that he did I can't say because we, no one can say you know we might we might get an X-Men movie with an unknown actor playing Wolverine and every motherfucker out there hate it and then the the X-Men movie might be garbage too. We can't say. I mean, that's that's like total it, Disney at this point would be much along the same lines as the Fantastic 4, not only digging up the bones of a forgotten franchise as far as the big screen goes, but it's like you really got to put in the work to make people want to see this shit again because you really fucked up with that last movie that that Fox did. So um, you're right. You're right. People, though. people aren't going to forget that, you know. Um, yeah, but I think that I th- listen to me, and I want you to. I'm certain that when I say this, you're going to be on my ba- brainwave. Fans like us are craving a proper representation of this series. Yeah. Same as the Fantastic Four. So as soon as a trailer drops for some X Men, dude, it's going to literally explode. The entire interwebs. Mm-hmm. Remember, explode the entire interwebs. Remember that uh, movie. Timeout. Remember that movie. The timeout, new- real quick. I need. I need to say this really quickly. Okay. V, thank you so much. V just delivered me pizza live on the podcast. Hell She's yeah! Everybody, uh, golf clap for V. We're golf clapping V. This was amazing. Pizza and Pepsi. Now continue. Do I remember what movie? Do you remember that movie, The New Mutants, that was supposed to come out like five years ago? Now at this point. It's not coming out. No. I still don't think. Yeah, I don't, yeah. It's just it's. They've gone. even said like it might not come out because Disney's just not happy with the quality. Man, it's pathetic. It is pathetic. But uh, my hopes and, and and what I was getting to was I'm sorry for anyone that that can't understand my rambling sometimes because I I do ramble. Um, but I'm really invested in the character of Logan and Wolverine, and I I really hope that. We get back to featuring, and what I mean by that is in this this upcoming series, I really hope that Logan becomes a forefront or becomes a main character of his own stories again, and and continues, and we continue to get material of the same quality that we've been getting with House of X and Powers of X, and you know I don't I don't think that's too much to ask. As, no, as, a, as honestly, a fan base. With, listen, with Jonathan Hickman kind of still helming the ship, mm-hmm. I think that the sky's the limit. Honestly, Marvel has hitched their horse to the smart post. And uh, I feel like moving forward, Marvel is, and I said this a couple weeks ago, we're going to start seeing the early groundwork of what we may end up seeing in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're going to see it. Even though we might not get this story for five or six years on the big screen, right now they're laying this foundation, I promise you. Perfect. So uh, I, I really do hope that we get... You know, I also, I was thinking about it a little bit. I think, I don't know if you'll know this actor. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, depending on what you do and don't watch. But Colin Hanks, do you know who that is? Nope. He's Tom Hanks's son, spoiler mm- alert. Okay. But he was Travis Marshall in the show Dexter. He's like one of the most vicious killers the show. Had. Ah, okay, okay. 
I think he would make an absolutely amazing either A, Scott Summers, or B, and this is the one that really hits home with me, Magneto. Mm, okay. I like that spicy boy. I was thinking about it. Mm. But now I'm all yeah. Now my brain wheels turning. I do have I do have one more thing that I want to kind of pick your brain about for a second. Sure, um, pick it while I have this slice of pizza. Before we dive into uh, our our X Men issue of the of the of the day, if I can articulate what I'm trying to say, I read a article this morning in reference to the upcoming Rise of Skywalker that we're so excited about. Have you read this article, Nate? No. It says that after a test screening, uh, Rise of Skywalker was a disaster, and that's why they brought in... um, They brought George Lucas back to help fix it. And without Lucas, essentially, what we would have got in theaters would have been a steaming pile of shit. Not gonna lie, I don't know how much I buy into that dirt sheet line. Not to say that that the reporting is inaccurate, but more because doesn't this sound exactly 100% identical to, and when I start to say it, you're gonna hear it, Rogue One. Solo, Last Jedi. We heard it. Oh, the test screenings they did so to- did so poorly. But then, like we see the movie, and for the most part, I'm in. I liked Last Jedi. We're, we've we've had that conversation till the cows go home. But, mm-hmm. I mean, George Lucas's hands were not at all, and we've covered this on the show at all involved in Episode Seven, Force Awakens. And J.J. was all over that movie, and essentially, it was a masterpiece in a lot of ways. Sure, there's some copiness for from A New Hope and all that, whatnot, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's still its own movie that's pretty fucking amazing that takes that story and takes it to the next level. So, for him to fumble on the third one, I just... There's not a world in my heart that says that J.J. doesn't know what he's doing and would make something that is, quote horrible or a train wreck well uh, this is an article from epic stream i'm gonna read it while you smash that piece of pizza if you don't mind you're the greatest thank you uh so this came out this morning or late late yesterday evening um it says the premiere of star wars the rise of skywalker is only a little over a month away but it looks like the highly anticipated film was off to a rocky start a new report reveals that the first version of Episode 9 was so disastrous that George Lucas had to step in to fix the entire thing. The report comes from Cosmic Book News, where it is revealed that there could be three versions of The Rise of Skywalker out there. We're, we're getting into a little bit of uh, Snyder Cut territory here. Okay, let's see what happens. The first cut is from Lucasfilm President Kathleen Kennedy and Director J.J. Abrams, but it only scored 29 in test screenings. This is when Disney CEO reportedly stepped in. The second cut then resulted in a score of 65 from test audiences. Not surprisingly, this wasn't enough for Disney. The studio decided to bring in Lucas to interfere with the entire film, and his cut's final score came out at 88. 
This could have a lot to do with Lucas's surprise move of introducing a secret Skywalker in the third act. <clears throat> it's interesting that the rise of Skywalker had to be tested three times since it could explain the reshoots earlier this year. And I had an ad pop up and start yelling at me. <clears throat> Gotta love random ads playing. Likewise, the idea of Lucas stepping in to fix Episode Nine would be a welcome one. On the other hand, the rumors have not been confirmed, so it would be best to take this with a grain of salt, which I am and we always recommend on this show. Um, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker will be the final film in the Skywalker saga, so Lucas's involvement should be important. We're still not sure whether the theatrical cut will be the one that Lucas had worked on, Nevertheless, we may find out soon. Uh, we may soon find out as the as the movie hits theaters on December twentieth. So, obviously, much like the article said, take this with a grain of salt. I don't know how much truth there is to this article because I'm not on the I'm not out <clears throat> on the beat on the street, uh, pounding my feet, doing my thing. Not watching them test screenings. You know, I'm not watching the test screenings, but. And this is a little bit biased for me, but my uh, distaste for Kathleen Kennedy and my desire to, um, you know, French Revolution her, not in real life, but essentially from the franchise, (laughs) I I have to throw that out there because somebody's going to be like, hey, did you guys hear this podcast where this guy's making death threats to Kathleen Kennedy? It's not what I'm saying, folks. I just want her, I just want her out of Lucasfilm because she's I mean she's just not she's not the right one man I, Star Star Wars okay let me let me uh, soapbox here for a second Star Wars sure. sh- Star Wars should be Disney's number one cash cow it shouldn't be Marvel it shouldn't be uh, the the fucking Disney Channel. And all the shit that they're pumping out for for our nation's youth every day, it should be Star Wars, and it's not. And I'm not I'm not saying that because Star Wars is superior to Marvel Comics. Um, it, it it's there's it's you know like Shrek says it, it's like an onion. There's so many layers because to modern cinema, modern special effects. Modern storytelling, uh, on every level, Star Wars, what we have in, in 2019 is because of Star Wars in 1977, uh, and then again with Empire, and again with The Return of the Jedi, like, it's all because of Star Wars, so, um, you know, Marvel and Star Wars should obviously stare or share uh, center stage, as far as the company goes, but Star Wars should never struggle. There might be a Marvel movie or two that struggles. That's realistic. Star Wars should set a record for box office sales every time a movie premieres, and it doesn't. And there's a reason that it doesn't. And I think one of those internet is ca- trolls. I think one of them's internet trolls for sure. We've talked about that ad nauseum on the show. Um, I think a big one is Kathleen Kennedy, and. Um, you know, um, it needs fixed. Star Wars does need fixed. I'm going to ask you a question, my friend. Get Let, the wheels turning. Lay it on me. So, while you have this report that from Epic Streams that uh, apparently there are versions of Episode Nine that sucked ass and they had to bring in Lucas to fix it and all this, 
I've also read alternate reports to a different thing talking about test audiences seeing The Mandalorian's first episode and blowing their fucking load in their pants. Mm -hmm. So, my question to you is, do you think it likely that Kathleen Kennedy can both dance the fucking Mamba number five and also shit the bed in the same token, getting and helping get the Mandalorian so right, but you have this expectation, and and maybe I do too, that she's going to fuck up episode nine. Well, I think that's part of it for sure, but I think what sets the Mandalorian apart is, uh, number one, I read another article this morning from George Lucas talking about how happy he is with the Mandalorian TV show and how happy he is with Favreau and the team that they assembled um, with the product that they put out. So there's that, I think, at least to pad the stats for The Mandalorian, uh, because Kathleen Kennedy does not want George Lucas involved. She has, she has an incentive to keep him away from it, because she wants Star Wars to be hers, not his. Would you Would you agree with that? 59% agree with that. Okay. That's still the majority, so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, just barely, but yeah, I can see where you're coming from. So, Kathleen Kennedy, with some of the things that she said in the last two years, the way that she's conducted herself towards fans of the franchise, has kind of been despicable, in my opinion. And uh, much along the same lines as, as some of the stuff that, that re- Daisy Ridley has re- been reported saying. Um, so I am, a, again, like I said at the beginning, I am a little bit biased here. But I think what sets The Mandalorian apart, besides Lucas's stamp of approval, we'll say, is that it was a John Favreau-led thing. It wasn't... Okay. It wasn't Ka- Ka- Kathleen Kennedy picked John Favreau... Um, but she didn't do anything else. So is it successful because of her? You could look at it from that perspective, or is it going to be successful because of John Favreau and the team that he assembled, not Kathleen Kennedy? You know, it, well, it, and, it's a tough line to, to f- walk. And to further dive into that line, let's just bring this up now. Let's not be afraid to talk about, essentially we'll call it inner studio neptitism because... John Favreau's already a Marvel in-house boy. Mm-hmm. Like he already does amazing work for Marvel. Everything they ask him to touch, he fucking kills it. So and, and for of course and for Disney too, with things like the Jungle Book and the Lion King, and I mean those have to be thrown out there too. You got me there. You're right. You're right. But you get what I'm saying is he's he's an in-house boy. So th- of course, when Kathleen Kennedy's like, "Well, who the fuck should we have for this fucking show? I don't know what the fuck to do. I have no fucking clue. I'm fucking clueless." I'm a ho- my head up a horse's ass. <laughs> up a wampa's ass, I yeah, meant to say. There you go, or a tauntaun. It's up the tauntaun's ass. Uh, they smell better on the inside or on the outside. Or I thought they smelled better on the outside. Uh, anyways, uh, no, it's just like I don't know, man. My brain is on fire with all these thoughts of Kathleen Kennedy and and what this means, but. All she had to do is essentially look at this cog in the wheel and go, John Favreau, he'll do all the work and I don't have to really think about it. Mm-hmm. It's money. It's guaranteed money. This will take off. We don't have to 
I feel like he's in a very elite class. You know, he got Iron Man where it was. Iron Man led to the success of the MCU. Let's be real. Um, so yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah. I basically, basically, I Go just ahead. sorry to cut you off, but basically, I brought this article up. Is one, it's extreme clickbait for sure. So. Uh, for all those people out there that are listening to me ramble on about it, and they're like, well, he pulled up this fucking clickbait article and, and believed it right away. No, I didn't. Um, I, I recognize that it's clickbait, but it's... There's so much controversy surrounding Star Wars in this last in this last decade that, you know, number one, I'm tired of it. I am tired of Star Wars controversy, Okay. I'm tired of people involved of the Star Wars controversy not being held accountable for partially being responsible for that. And if I I don't want, you know, you and I and Nick and, and the whole crew, for the most part, are going to see the premiere of this film. I don't... Fucking jazzed, fucking uh, jazzed. Super jazzed. I mean, jazzed. I, I got fucking jazz hands going right now. I'm so excited for it. But, I'm still undulating like yeah. earlier. <laughs> you just never stopped. I'm, I've been undulating for like two hours and forty-seven <laughs> minutes. My my pelvis is on fire with the oh, feeling to kill. Man, you're getting you're getting a fucking heller or a, a heller. You're getting a heller amp workout there, though, feller. <laughs> but, a helicopter deck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want us to sit down. I I'm going. I am going into this film with no preconceived notions. Okay. Even though I just read this article that said one slash two out of the three screenings, you know, allegedly were flaming piles of dog shit, I am not going into this film thinking that it's going to be a flaming pile of dog shit. This is the first Star Wars movie that I see in theaters that I am almost emotionless. You know, I'm excited to see it, but I, I'm not. Excited to see the great movie that I'm going to see. I'm excited to see more so what we get. You know what I mean? You're cautiously optimistic. Yes, I'm cautiously optimistic. Thank you. Because be- if you get too jazzed about it and it lets you down, you're going to be heartbroken. Yep. For real. It's going to hurt you. And I don't, you know, when we saw when we saw The Last Jedi as a group, you know, we talked about you know, for 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 three hours after the show, we talked about not only the show but how how um, important and and enjoyable of an experience it was because we got to do it. You know, that's that's the thrill of going to the movies. You know, we're experiencing this for the first time on premiere night as as a team, as a as a family. And I don't want. I don't want my family to be force-fed fucking horse shit. Yeah, don't feed me horse shit. So, you know, I if if I'm going to be disappointed, you're going to be disappointed. And we we shouldn't we shouldn't see a Star Wars movie in 2019 and be disappointed. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm just okay, so my brain, let me just tell you I agree with you about that. We are at a point in 2019 where People have a really high expectation of Star Wars, but that shouldn't put it beyond Star Wars to write quality material when you have so many great, talented writers out there in the world 
that could bring us innovative stories and not being afraid of step, stepping away from the Skywalker story. Yes. Stepping away from anything like that and just and just say, look, we know you love the universe. And if we go to Tatooine and we give you seven new characters, you're going to eat this shit up. If we go to Dagobah or uh, Bespin or we go to fucking uh, where uh, out beyond the Rishimes. A uh, little callback to fucking, uh, I think that was Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like... Ah, what do you know? Oh, yeah. What do you know? Obi-Wan. I fucking love that guy. I do too. Anyways, uh, to, to just go anywhere in this world, we're going to eat it up. You do not have to hit your horse to motherfucking Skywalker galore. No offense, I, lo- I love that story, but... Don't be afraid to step outside the box. Like, you know why The Mandalorian seems to be working and why people are into it? Because it's not Boba Fett. When you got people out in the boonies going, what's this Mandalorian and why ain't they got the Bobby Feets? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, why ain't Bobby Feets the Mandalorian? Like, that's a good thing because it's like your expectation's different. You, You immediately... As soon as I know that Boba Fett is not the character they're trying to tell the Mandalorian story with, do you know what my first move is? Sigh of relief. <sighs> if it sucks, I don't care. It's not my Boba Fett. And if it's really great, fucking awesome. I'm a part of something really cool. Right. So, I don't know, man. Star Wars, we really need to have a podcast about Star Wars on our network. I'm just going to keep screaming it at the stars and hope someone actually fucking hears me. Help! 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 help. Anyways, uh, before we get into this HOX talk, or POX rather, did you have any final thoughts on Star Wars before we jump? Uh, much like... Uh, man, it, it, it's, it's hard to articulate at this point because... You and I said it after we saw The Last Jedi and after the Rotten uh, Tomato controversy happened. We said it again after um, Solo, when we talked about Solo, you know, separately at that time, uh, myself on Podcastrophy and you on, on Journey into Comics. And then we said it again after we watched uh, Captain Marvel, which was not the greatest movie I've ever watched, but was solid it was a solid option um um in the is a solid entry into the franchise if you don't like the rise of skywalker don't shit post it to death because just because i may not care for it or just because uh you may not care for it it doesn't mean that it's not a great movie No, you're absolutely right, man. And and I think that I think that we all run it and listen, we are on podcasts that literally give people our opinions and reviews, so maybe if they don't have time to see the movie or the thing, they can get into it and I understand that. However, I really think that we are in an era where creating preconceived notions for people, like, listen, here's the unfortunate truth, dude. I'm just gonna throw this scenario at you. It's December fifth. Mm-hmm. I want you to mark this in your fucking timelines, people. I said it here first, December 5th. 
on December 5th, news will break that there's a bunch of reviews coming out for the embargo is lifted for uh, Rise of Skywalker, and the reviews are fucking dog shit or whatever. And it's going to be a story that is literal clickbait, 100% meant to drive people to go, I don't know if I need to see it right away. And as soon as you put an ounce of seed of doubt now, you have literally set on fire people's inabilities to trust the movies. Mm-hmm. That's why people don't go out anymore. So what I'm going back to say is, is like, if you really hate it, reserve how you express that hate. Maybe just say, Rise of Skywalker wasn't for me, but don't like create your own version of the narrative because it's going to create preconceived notions on folks. I know I'm just rambling at this point. I'm trying my best to get back on here, but like you don't want folks to walk into a movie theater and in the back of their head, they're hearing, you know, Tyler on uh, journey into comics said that uh, rise of Skywalker was a steaming pile of dog shit because the scenes with Leia, you can obviously tell were filmed way long time ago. Right. And then they walk in, and as soon as they see the scene, what are they thinking about? They're not connecting with the fact that Leia is on screen again, and we lost Carrie Fisher, and it's kind of an emotional moment. And whatever they do with that character and that story, amazing. They are so focused on your words. Exactly. That now it's eating at them during the scene, and now everything, they're picking it apart. What's what's happening behind them? What's going on here? Did I just notice a guy with the fucking boom mic? What? Who shot this thing? How unprofessional. You know? Right. So anyways. Yeah. I'm going to stop rambling about that. Before I go further, I think I might have like half-assedly, briefly, partially mentioned this to you. But I'm into a new thing that's old. Go on. Uh, so for Ollie's sixth birthday, we got him Pokemon cards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talked about it last week. Did we talk about that on air, though? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, we talked about it. Uh, I can't remember if it was on Podcastrophy or uh, Journey into Comics, but we did talk about it on one of them, I thought. Oh, shit. Well, my brain's bad. I was just... Yeah, it's crazy, because I've gotten into the game on the computer or whatever that's like been teaching me how to play, you're and like, I genuinely... You're like one of ahead. five people in existence that actually knows how to play the card game. Well, now, yeah, now I am. I do know how to play the card game. It's crazy because if somebody would have fucking showed me how to play this shit when I was a kid, I would have been a legend of Pokemon <laughs> with a capital edgend. Okay. Like, Jesus. It's crazy, man. I look at the cards now and I'm like, oh my God, I had some of the fucking coolest cards. Like, I could have done some of the coolest shit. And I had no idea, and I'm this turd that's like, I have one of every Pokemon. That's awesome. Which is awesome. I mean, it's cool that I have at least one of all the OG Pokemon types, but, like, it's not as cool as this game. This game is just, like, I don't know, especially as an adult now who really got into deck-building games, like the DC deck-building game and shit like that. Like, man, Pokemon just scratches an itch I didn't know I had, if that makes sense. But anyways, I, I, I like I had a, a quick side note today. I was Skylar and I always fill out Christmas lists for each other like little kids. I and fucking love that. You guys are adorable. Jesus Christ. We, we actually write it down on paper and everything. I absolutely love <laughs> that. Yes, please continue. So I was 
you know, doing my Christmas list last night and this morning, and we were talking about it, and, you know, I always put, like, I go super extra with mine, like... Big black is, dildo. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is... the I want it, I want it zebra-striped, though. But, Ooh. So, like, I write down the prices of what things are, where you can purchase it at, like, when it might be on sale. Like, I, I go, like, super... Like super nerd about it, but that, do you give the passwords to your site so she can get the free shipping? Uh, yeah. Oh, home run, swish. So, um, man, my brain just stopped. But like we were talking about stuff last night, and I got to the end, and she's like, "Is there anything else?" And I was like, "Well, if you go on my Amazon and look at my wish lists, there's a." wish list that's titled pop slash memorabilia and she goes yeah and i said literally anything off of that and i was just scrolling through it today and i added a bunch more stuff to it but there are so many funko pops on there that i realized today that i will never for the rest of my life own all the funko pops that i want and i also will never have enough space to house all the funko pops that i want Ah, you've seen the reality that was my life a few years ago when I was at, I think the number was 520, and I went, oh shit, I have zero, literally zero space left. Yeah. And and I'm a little bit freaked out, because now I'm going to have to start double stacking shit, and then that loses the luster of having them out for fucking people to view, so I was like... I'm going to make a quick dime, man, let's sell all the Star Wars pops, which was fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm. But at the same token, it got me to see the Misfits, which that was cool. You know, never thought in my life I'd see the Misfits not once but twice in my life fronted by Glenn Danzig. First time I paid an exorbitant amount of money for tickets. The second time we got invited by the Misfits. What? <laughs> Anyways. Back to it. Let's get back on focus. I'm all over the place right now. Tyler sad again. What's up? I said Tyler sad again. Why Tyler sad? No, no money for Funko Pops. Um, you just gotta sell that ass, boy. <laughs> <laughs> like you just gonna have to work the streets, dude. Wow, that that Want went them? super dark real quick. You want them Funko Pops, you got to scratch that itch. You got that addiction for them Pops. Mm. Y'all got any Funkos? Mm-mm-mm. Real quick, have you yeah, seen man. the have you seen the Mandalorian Pops? Oh, fuck yeah. IG-11 and the Mandalorian. They fucking the look other great. Ones. Of course they do, bastards. There's like, they did Triple Force Friday this year. And it's Mandalorian Pops, Fallen Order Pops, and Rise of Skywalker Pops all releasing on the same day. There are 32 Star Wars Pops releasing in one day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got $320 just sitting around. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, me nor, me nor. I mean, I guess if I want to sell all my other Pops to just get those Pops, but that's... I mean that's that's you, you, I mean really I could you could just do what I do and and or what you just recommended to me and just sell that ass. Ooh yeah. Yeah. 
No, I don't think uh, I would. Yeah, I would. That wouldn't end well. Mm-mm. It would not be. It would. I'm too. I'm I don't too th- gentle. I don't think it would start okay either. Like it. It just I, wouldn't end well, or it not. It wouldn't just end well. It would. It would end. <laughs> it would. It would be pretty bad at the beginning too. I feel like. Yes, I absolutely feel you. I was just envisioning the dark. The dark scenario of selling your ass for fun go pops. <laughs> Whoa. Mm. We are still spicy today, let me tell you. Oh, damn. Oh. Well, what do you think, man? Should we stop stalling this shit and work our way through this one of the final issues of the House of X, Powers of X series that we have to read? <coughs> yeah, you... you... <sighs> I don't know. I mean, we should we should just start at the beginning. Talk about the cover a little bit. I feel like today this one, nothing super grandiose or or really, um, you know, nothing really stands out. We've got Mister Sinister on the on the cover today, which is which is kind of weird, and we've got mutant eggs, kind of people popping out of the eggs, um, but like. I don't know. This is probably my least favorite cover so far. Mm, I still think the, what was it, Powers of X4 with all the faces was my least favorite. This one's pretty close up there, though, for sure. It's just, it's so bland. There's nothing really magical about it, and Mr. Sinister is such a dark, colored character. He's just kind of like this black mass in the center mm-hmm. of the of the of the book, and it just, I don't know. Maybe I don't like the background either because, like, I get that it's Krakoa and the sun's supposed to be, like, shining through, but it also just looks like a bunch of snakes. Yeah. And it just, it, it doesn't really sell me. And then I'm like, is that Groot's fucking face, man? What are you trying to do here? Like, there are too many things competing for my attention on this cover. Totally. Just to really super break that shit down. So much, much like we said earlier when we were talking about Logan and Wolverine's involvement in the series, this is another issue that focuses on almost primarily Professor X. Uh, we open with a dossier sheet that says, they will think we are doing one thing, but the truth is we are doing something altogether different. You know, that's, I mean, normally we have something super or super impactful and interesting in these sheets. This one's pretty, pretty bland. You know, I think this one's. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna comment on this real quick, but uh, because honestly, this one's bland for this issue. Okay, what it says that blanket statement. They will think we are doing one thing while we're doing one thing with something else altogether. Right. Mm-hmm. Way more impactful when you look at the series as a whole. Right. Like that line holds weight for the whole series, but this thread, when you read this singular book, doesn't give you enough of that for it to have been the first dossier on the on the pages. I don't. It just doesn't hit me as where you start. Well, I think. Well, and part of my part of my issue with this with this opening page is Professor X Charles would not say it like that. He would say it much more elegant and refined and. You know, he would use words that weren't redundant. You know, it's like, hey, Magneto, we got them. They're going to be thinking we do one thing, but we going to be doing another thing. All right. 
Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Way to way to vague book, Xavier. Like, uh, of course you have ulterior motives. You're you're one of the most intelligent people on the fucking planet. Like, I I don't know this 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 issue. You know, I I can't wait to review it at the end because, spoiler alert, folks, this is my least favorite issue, uh, in the series. Man, we have swung the the ship has swung pretty quickly for you because just like two weeks ago we had your favorite in the whole series, mm-hmm. and now we're right here and we're deeper in the story. And you know, I can tell you what it is uh, to really because we don't we don't really need to spend like five hours dissecting this because it's three little vignettes. We and it's all like you said, it's all Xavier centric. Mm-hmm. So we're vague booking with Xavier now, and we're going, and we're going to do this one thing, and that's a short little bit. And then the middle bit kind of sets up, really the m- middle bit is probably the most important bit of the whole thing because it sets up the council, and we'll talk about that. And then the last bit is, again, the whole future trip plan thing. We're so far in the future that it doesn't even seem to make any fucking sense why we're even there. Mm-hmm. So... um there is it's one, just there's tiny little morsels. That's all there are. There is one thing, though, that I feel like we should definitely talk about towards the front of the book. Um, the first couple a or the first couple pages is uh, Professor X and his interaction with a mutant known as Forge, which um, I would imagine his mutant power is technology. I think that's been referenced earlier in the series, but I can't remember, and I didn't recognize the guy. Um, you gave me a good chuckle when you said he looked like Solid Snake because I kind of thought the same thing too. He uh, really does. Um, but we get a dossier sheet, which is the total opposite of uh, the crappy opening sentence that we got for this issue. It's all about Cerebro. Ooh, you want to read it down to us? I, I do. Oh, um, do it, please. So it's titled Cerebro version 7.0 build C. It says, originally powered by a Shi'ar antimatter engine, uh, the current build of Cerebro now runs on a Krakoan no-place vent, converted by Forge to act as an unlimited power source for mutants living on the island. Uh, Shi'ar logic diamonds still remain the primary choice for data storage and are also how Sinister's DNA sequencing is cached. Uh, we've got a note here at the bottom. It says, Forge's increasing mastery of Krakoan tech continues unabated. The transition of his prowess with traditional machine building to biological machine building remains impressive. A revolution in Krakoan technology seems imminent. Uh, we go into the functionality of Cerebro at this point. Uh, let me check here. It says, once a week, Charles Xavier copies the latest version of every mutant mind to multiple redundant cradles, which we were uh, made aware of last week, located in several locations across the world. These backups are the essence of each mutant. How they think, how they feel, their memories, their very being. This partial process takes approximately three hours. Once a year, Xavier does a hard backup of each mutant on the planet. Unlike the weekly backups, this process is not a partial backup, but a fresh copy of a whole mind. 
This process takes three days, during which the process cannot be interrupted and Xavier cannot be disturbed. We have another note here. It says, as previously stated, while there has been no experimentation regarding what happens when you combine a mutant mind with a husk that is not their own, it is believed that unless a mutant has some primary or secondary ability to overcome the potential damage, such as a mismatch would occur or would cause, it's likely to be harmful and possibly fatal. It is possible for a telepathic operator to replace their own mind with a previous legacy version, but doing so is incredibly difficult and would most likely require a skilled and experienced operator. Charles Xavier has done this twice. Oh, then, I love that line. Yep, and then we get uh, we get the actual cradle locations, which you and I, that was one of our biggest questions last week, where the hell are all these uh, data centers essentially at? So we've got the House of X, Island M, the Summer House, the Point, and Moira's No Place. So there's five total. Spread out pretty evenly, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also in different power indexes where they're going to be protected properly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love talking about Cerebro and how Xavier copies the minds when you're talking about this this, uh, dossier sheet and how it all goes down. My question is, and I was hoping that the notes would have uh, addressed this, but we didn't get this at all, is what happens if there's an interruption? Like, isn't that where your mind went? Like, what happens if something were to go wrong? Does it just go to the backup version? What if he's working on the fresh hard copies and something happens? Like, right. does he just lose those X-Men? Like, or those mutants? Like, holy shit, that's a crazy thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I love that they're really deeply explaining how these mutants are going to be able to live on and be the same person always. <laughs> The next couple pages that we get are uh, Xavier and Magneto meeting one-on-one with Emma Frost, which is, I mean, at its basest, just an argument and them trying to convince her uh, that Krakoa is the real deal. And then the final pan- the final panel is what I really want to talk about, at least for this next couple pages, because... You've sure. got you've got almost every image that we've seen of Xavier in this entire series is him wearing Cerebro. I'll call it 2.0 or 7.0, whatever that that last uh, dossier sheet that I read said. Seven two C. Yeah, so he never takes it off. I mean, it is it is on perpetually, but. Magneto and, and Xavier are trying to convince um, I'll, I'll just read this couple panels here it says this is that day you've been waiting for and they're talking to Emma Magneto says to make right all the things that went wrong and Emma says what's going to make it different this time and Magneto extends a hand and says let us show you and it's one of the Krakoan flowers and I as much as I hated the cover art, if if I was uh, an artist, I would have made this bottom panel of Magneto's extended hand with the Krakoan flower. That would have been my cover right there. Oh, my God. That would have been awesome. Simplistic to the point. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's it's that solid white background, and then this version of Magneto is wearing white and silver, so the background and Magneto's frame wouldn't clash, but the way that his arm and his cloak is shaded, that contrasts so well with the color of the flower that it just looks clean, and it, it's supposed to... I, I, f- I feel like this image at the bottom on this page is supposed to give you the feeling that Kirk Cohen is safe and clean and, you know, just all the, all the good feelings. And that's it, it just goes right along with them um, trying to it's explain like beautiful. this. You want to you want to plant that right away. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, it just makes sense, you know, that image because they're they're. Emma Frost is someone they have to get on board. They can't afford to not have her. And I feel like that's why, at least for the next, um, or realistically for the rest of the book, that's why we see her before we see anyone else. Oh, train of our existence showing up in force. Mm. That's twice, because we just heard it a minute ago. Oh, she's, she's moving real slow. That's what's happening. And apparently this train driver is like, I really want you to know I'm here. <laughs> yeah, party, bitches. Witness me. I hope you weren't sleeping. Because you're not now, motherfuckers. They're like apartments right next to the train tracks. That's what kills me. They honk that horn like that at like 4.30 in the morning, and I'm just like, Oh my God! If I live next to that place, I would never mind. I'll get in trouble for saying that. They would think that I'm being serious, and mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> Anyways, um, Emma is really a hard sell because she's very stubborn, and she's seen mutant kind fuck itself several times and cannibalize itself, mm-hmm. and she just wants it done right, and. They sell her on it, man, and she sees what wonders Krakoa has, and I think it just like hits her like, wow, this could this could really work. Like, this could be home. Well, and 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 one of the pages here that I really like, and and I'll just paraphrase it here, but it's it's um, Magneto, uh, Charles, and Emma basically negotiating, um, and there's they start. I'll just start with this bubble here. It says, And leaving behind talk of money and getting back to the real matter at hand, we're offering two seats on the 12-person cancel, or council that will act as the first government of Krakoa. And Emma responds with, The council is temporary, I assume, until a more formal structure is agreed upon. Xavier says, perhaps we'll find our way as we grow. Regardless, it's the spark that sets things in motion, and that begins as a when what begins as a fire will grow into an inferno and she's like but why two seats <laughs> we need you to bring sebastian shaw back into the hellfire that's a name that i didn't expect to see um you know just it, it's pretty subtle i feel like yeah they are they're planting bigger seeds and I love her reaction because she's just like, 
I just got like I just did away with Sebastian Shaw. Like what? And they're like, no, 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 seriously, we need you guys to do this. You need to be a part of the legitimate trade between our nation and the other sovereign nations around the world. And uh, Magneto kind of does some convincing and says, for the ones we do not, she says, you want a black king to run the black book operations into countries who reject our sovereignty? And uh, he's like, get the drugs in, get the mutants out. So it's a very clean operation. Mm -hmm. They're going to give all the drugs to the humans like they've agreed upon. Here are the three different kinds of drugs you can have. In exchange, she's going to come in like we've noticed she's been doing the whole fucking series. Coming in and putting the stop to anybody trying to take a mutant and throw them in regular basic homo sapien jail. Right. Saying, no, 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 not today. You're coming with me. You're a, you're a part of the sovereign nation of Krakoa, which means we're extraditing you back to our place. Don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, of course, Xavier's like, can we count on you? Will you do it? And she's like, I'll do it, but not for two seats. I need three. And she straight up lays that dick out on the table. She fucking mic drops him. Like, you know, I, I love how how powerful of a character um, Emma Frost is in this uh, in in this series so far. But we get another dossier sheet real qu- or right after that, and it says the Quiet Council of Krakoa, the twelve person ruling council of Krakoa that decides how the mutant nation handles external conflicts and the internal laws of the island itself. There is some debate as to whether this council will continue in perpetuity or if some other system of government will replace it. (laughs) They have broken it up through um, basically five seasons or four seasons and then Krakoa. So it's autumn. We've got Professor X, Magneto, and then it's blanked out. So I would imagine that's Moira. And then winter... Four, five, and six, we don't know who those are. Um, Seven, eight, and nine, number nine is blacked out, but at least for seven and eight, we've got Black King, Sebastian Shaw, White King, Emma Frost, or White Queen, I'm sorry. And then number nine, we don't have. And then 10, 11, and 12, we don't have. 13 and 14 are Cypher and Krakoa. So... Cypher obviously being totally necessary so they can communicate with Krakoa. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look forward to figuring out who the rest of these people are for sure. I'm looking at it right now. I know who they are. Well, I'm, I'm saying that under the the guise yeah, of... Yeah, no, I know totally. I was, I was That was me being an asshole. I'm <laughs> mm. mm, sorry here. The next Anyways, g- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. No, you want you me to go? go? No, you go. You, you, no, you go. No, you go. One, two, three, and then we go. Okay. One, two, and then go. All right, go. Okay, go. <laughs> the next couple pages, we get essentially um, Xavier projecting, uh, almost like astral projection, but just projecting an image of himself to uh, different groups or, or different enclaves of mutants 
throughout the world and he's basically saying look uh this is Krakoa it's really badass you'll all be accepted here it'll be your home come on out we'll, we'll have you're a, gonna love it well you're gonna love it I'll throw a barbecue um you know it'll be really tight um and then we roll right into an exchange between Xavier and, and another mutant that says, so let me see if I understand you clearly. You're inviting all the mutants on this planet to live together in your perfect little island, and then you flip the page, and we see Namor, and he asks, the good, the evil, and those beyond such quaint descriptors. Xavier says, yes, we are, Namor, and we want you to join us. Please come home. And Namor's just being a fucking dick. Well, he's not playing. Homie don't play no shit. It's kind of you to ask, but if I'm comprehending the real reason you're doing this, it's because you're finally realized that you are not them and that they will never accept you or love you, not because you don't deserve it, but because they envy you, they hate your superiority, and they always will, which is exactly what we talked about for the last two weeks. So I love some... Uh, some validation there, at least from our point of view. Home but, run. Uh, Namor continues with, it's, it's, it's good that you finally figured this out, but let me ask you, do I strike you as someone who's just now realized how much better I am than everyone else? I mean, he is just mic-dropping Xavier. Like, don't come down here with your fucking your hologram and flex on me. I'm fucking Namor, king of the sea. Don't flex on me, I flex on you. You flex on me, I flex on you. Mm-hmm. Flex uh, you, flex me. And he, he he continues and he says, and do you actually think I believe that you feel that way too? Go away, little man, and don't come back until you really mean it. I mean, just savage with Xavier. But he Namor, does, again... does this, not pull a punch. Again, this is this, this series is so fantastic because it's another character that I didn't expect to see. I didn't expect to open... Um, you know, obviously I read this issue a while ago, but I didn't expect to open this book and be like, fuck, man, when am I going to get to the Namor shit? You know? Jazzed so. on that. And, of course, I, Namor, I love how he says, do I strike you as someone who just now figured out he's better than everyone else? He literally has been in seclusion in his own fucking private underwater hidden fucking sea. Mm-hmm. Like city under the sea. That's what I'm trying to say. I fucked that up, but you Liv- get me. Like he's living with chilling in Atlantis. Living with them and not wearing some cement boots. Mm-hmm. But like prospering with the fishes. Have you watched The Boys yet? God damn it, No. Shit! I was gonna I make to a do joke. that. I was gonna make a joke, but I can't because you haven't watched it. Oh, I suck! I need to watch it, huh? Yeah, be better. Be more gooder. But I'll right, be, a- I'll I'll do it. Right after the fantastic exchange that we get with Namor, we roll right into uh, X Men: The Year One Thousand, and we get to see right some to more Phalanx. You want to you want to take uh, take the reins here, Captain? Captain? So. Yeah, of course I'll take some reins here. Wow, wow, uh, yeah. The the yeah, I'm gonna do some real cowboy shit. Uh, 
so the phalanx t- uh, has was trying to ascend last time we saw it. They had taken the data mind of what we assume is the library of all the mutants and one of, I'm going to now kind of call it one of the final cradles that had all the history database of all mutant kind on it. And we had known, of course, through reading these books previously that they had started instead of just like doing how Xavier did getting these uh, mutants, they were just melting them down into a goo to extrapolate the data. Mm -hmm. So now the phalanx ascends and uh, the people are saying, you know, whatever pleases you pleases we. We would love to hear your answer. You know, are we going to uh, ascend? And then, like, I love it because the ball, the giant eyeball, is, like, reforming again and almost becomes, like, a person. Like, a, like I can't tell if it's male or female. It doesn't really have a form like that. But And uh says, these are our phalanx terms. Um by them we phalanx accept and uh, we go to the librarian and what is left of nimrod and there is a lot of dialogue here but i do think it's worth it to kind of brush through so do you, do you want me to just brush through this would you like yeah. to do it how would you like to? okay no I'll, no I'll go, ahead, go ahead go ahead and take the the pilot's chair here okay so here we go it says later they agreed uh, why then did the phalanx destroy the elder? Uh, there's really not enough data to make an error-free projection, librarian. Best guess then, Nimrod talking to librarian. Uh, Nimrod says, very well, as humanity evolved, so did machines. It's how you modeled us after yourselves so we could become more, so we could be, so we could improve. Together, we've harnessed the entire power of the planet, and we are approaching the ability to harness the sum total of our solar system, which is Promethean, but on a universal scale, not mighty, unlike them. I, along with thinking machines on the on this planet, am composed of smaller self-improving and self-replicating machines. The phalanx operates in the same manner, more sophisticated, yes, but similar. This is almost certainly not true for their masters. They are more likely machines made out of machines as well, but not technological. They, no, they are probably constructed using the fundamental components of all things, elementary matter, universal particles, um, electrons, protons, leptons, uh, possibly even primary kerbons. These things, Theoretical constructures would be massively dense machine brains that would dwarf any thinking machine we could imagine. The real question is, how dense are they? Because if they are dense enough, then they could collapse space and time around them and become singularities. That's all Nimrod just like throwing it at the librarian. A librarian comes back with... I know this part. It's a Titan theory. It states that the heart of every black hole in the universe, there is actually a supermassive machine brain, each one containing the collective intelligence of a society so advanced that it collapsed in on itself. Mm-hmm. And Nimrod responds, yes, that's an argument for independent Titan societies, and I'm sure those exist. But more than that, ask yourself, what is a black hole? 
It's a wormhole, a bridge from one singularity to the next. You have to consider the very possibility of each black hole isn't a separate machine. It's all one single machine that stretches its tendrils across the entirety of the known universe. One giant societal intellect so far beyond us that it might as well be that God mankind spent so much time looking for. The librarian is, I think, a little bit stultified. He, he's fascinating, mm-hmm. terrifying, but that doesn't explain why the phalanx ate the elder. And then Nimrod retorting quickly, we reached beyond ourselves to build a world mine and attract a giant, a galactic suitor, a protector. Instead, we attracted a predator and a hungry one at that. Phalanx are built to consume worthy cultures and add to the consumed societal intellect. Uh, to theirs, and, by extension, their masters. But this is taxing work, and the energy is a high cost. But they must eat to survive. Uh, the librarian's still not understanding why. Uh, it's not an incremental deal, librarian. They've accepted our overture. Converting matter to energy is how they thrive in service to their masters. We asked for sovereignty, but it came with an unexpected price. Tomorrow, they will absorb our collective intelligence into theirs, and the history and consciousness of the planet will live on forever. But in doing so, they will feed consuming this entire planet, and leaving no living thing behind. Uh, rut row. <laughs> Scary stuff. It's uh, it's not looking good for the kind of the end game here. We're X Men Year One Thousand here. We're kind of at the end of known existence, and there's not an end game. No, they didn't plan for this. They didn't think about. Uh, of course, I'm just setting things up for next time we talk about this. But like, really, you didn't think about the Phalanx that was coming inevitably. Moira has lived all these lives to inevitably predict every living move. If mutants are still going to get wiped out and her ultimate goal is to prevent mutants from being wiped out, how was the phalanx allowed to even get to this point, you know? Yeah, I think it's really crazy because like when we first see the fa- the phalanx, it's like what it, I mean, it's very brief what we get. It's this massive technological super conscience essentially. And then at the end of this issue, this issue, we're talking about how all the black holes in the universe are actually like super consciousnesses like the phalanx is where it's just fucking living technology devouring matter. And it's just, we get super, um, super scientific and complex and of all the things in this series, the X-Men Year 1000 stuff is the, is the stuff that I like the least. Because you're so far detached from it. Well, and I don't know, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty pretty intelligent dude, um, and obviously this is fiction, but, like, talking, like, a lot of this shit, number one, isn't very interesting, because I don't understand any of the librarian's motives other than wanting to ascend physicality um, and, like, you know, just... I mean, if you want to be a robot, just make yourself a robot. Like, you have the technology to do that. Nimrod's right next to you. So, 
Bingo. It's like I, I I'm not quite sure what any of their their true motives are. And then, you know, you 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 look at the map here that we have. We see the Technarch uh, society that we saw earlier in relation to the Phalanx, and how that's not necessarily connected to the World Mind. And then you go the Titan uh, civilization, which we just talked about, versus a stronghold versus Dominion. You know, and we get a little bit, and, and I'm, I'm not going to go through this dossier sheet because I, I think it's kind of irrelevant, but a um, couple things here. It says, for example, the local dominion controlling the sector, including Earth space, is a collective numbering 112 titans. So there's 112 black holes, essentially. Um, uh, just a second. Here we go. Beyond universal abstracts under which dominions are seen as naturally occurring, the only primal threats that a dominion fears are the world eater Galactus and the singular universal manifestation of life, the Phoenix. So, Ooh. some pretty some pretty important callbacks or notations there. But you know, again, like we just said with the year one thousand stuff. Um, I'm I'm kind of surprised that Galactus is being name dropped because I would think that by the year 1000 that that Galactus is donezo. You know what I mean? I mean, you would assume, but then again, maybe he eats all the planets that have the fountains of youth. Eh? Well, I, well, I don't necessarily mean like dying of old age. I mean like. Surely there's been an event where the X-Men and the Avengers and all the, the Fantastic Four and all the super teams teamed up to defeat Galactus. Like that's that 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 is your that is the big bad. Um like no pun intended because of his size. You're like, right. Like he should be gone for sure. The um, biggest bad. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that they dropped the, the Phoenix in there too, so yeah, which I think that might have uh, interesting implications moving forward mm -hmm. on the ounce and into the next series that we're going to be talking about. Uh, you said this was your least favorite, but I got to know, out of five, or out of ten, we're doing out of ten? Out of ten is what we normally do. It's been, out, it's been out of ten. It's been out of ten. Five. So used to ranking shit on foodies as fives. Five out of ten. Wow, damn, uh, five out of ten. Uh, uh, not to be disagreeing, uh, or, or just to really just break down my viewpoints on how I would rate this. Uh, I do like some of the art I thought was really nice. There's some different visuals that I really enjoyed. The, the phalanx human form, like kissing the elder was fucking dope and essentially eating him. Uh, the story itself, again, you're in the three-part jumbled mess land. I'm really struggling to connect or have any reason to care about uh, X-Men Year 1000. It's just so far out, and they're not giving me enough threads back to why it matters. Because uh, essentially you're just saying everything ends anyways, and yeah, of course it does. It's just existence. Uh, but I think... The, the fact that it is important, the issue is important because of it does have the 
the start of the conversation of the, the Quiet Council of Krakoa. Uh, for that reason alone, I'll give it a six. I'm going to give it one little high bumpy. So, like, we're averaging it a five five. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I again, loved a lot of the art as well. Um, you know, I, I, I gushed about the the scene of Magneto handing her the, the flower. I still think that was definitely a stumble. That should have been your cover art there. Why was Mr. Sinister on the cover? Um, he wasn't even in the issue, but well, for one singular panel. Yes, one panel he was in the issue. Um so, I mean, we, we really were, were barely on Krakoa, too. So, Mr. Sinister being the, the backdrop, uh, or being on the backdrop of Krakoa. The only thing that maybe is, is, a, is a big question for me here is um, every time we've seen this image, it's been Charles standing where, where Mr. Sinister is. So... Is this maybe some foreshadowing of some information that we get uh, in the next two issues? Um, I, I I can't say, or I, and I definitely don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but um, it's interesting for sure. Just not just I, not the greatest issue. Swing and a partial miss. It's a foul ball into left center. It's a weird place to foul ball, but. I guess that's how it's going to work. I mean, that's kind of how uh, this issue was. It's just, I don't know, just de- definitely not their strongest in the series, for sure. No, not at all. Uh, but I tell you, next time we talk, man, it, uh, episode of Journey into Comics 270 is going to be our last coverage of House of X, Powers of X, shockingly. Mm-hmm. We finally did it. We would have been done a lot sooner, but... Well, um, much illness like, and all the kinds of other bullshits happened and got in our way. Right. We still finished it. We didn't give up. Mm-hmm. We didn't just quit on it. We got the Mandalorian coming out in two days, Nate. Oh, yeah. So that's going to be another part of next week's episode as well. As we're going to we, be talking about the motherfucking Mandalorian. Yeah. Next week might have to be a two-parter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, it might actually have to be. Holy fuck. I just thought about the implications of how long that episode might go. Yeesh. Yeah, we we might have to do that in two parts. Do like part one. House 270, 270.5. Yeah, we might have to do um, House of X, Powers of X as the first part and the Mandalorian stuff as the second part or, or vice versa. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Mandalorian comes out... Um, Tuesday and then we don't we don't really don't have a whole lot to talk about. We just talk about how good it is. There you go, man. It could be a simple conversation. We'll just have to see. Hopefully we can gush about it and uh give our honest uh reflections of how we feel about the new service, Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah, man. Well I think it's time to take us home, you think? Mm-hmm. All right, buddy. Well, before we get out of here, folks, as always, you can check out the Journey Into Comics podcast right here on journeyintocomics.com. Get us on Apple Music, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, and many others. Just search Journey Into Comics Network. One feed is all you need. Also, go to patreon.com backslash journeyintocomics. Give us a buck. We give a fuck, Chuck. We'll give you a holler for that one dollar. We need your money. It ain't funny, because guess what? When we hit 100 bucks on the Patreon, 
we're going to be polling, and whoever gets polled the highest is going to join the Pod Daddy in an ultimate hot sauce challenge. It's going to be spicy. So incentive for you folks to throw your dinero at us because you're going to want to hear that because we're we're going to live record this podcast where we're eating super ultra spicy food and uh, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be great. I can't wait. I hope Blaine gets picked to do it so I can watch him be punished. I just want it to be me versus Blaine. That's like, what I'm that saying. That would be the ultimate setup is like, spoiler alert, no one else got voted for, just Blaine. It looks like it's <laughs> Nate versus Blaine. Oh, shit. Mm. I mean, I'll I'll be nice. I'll let him drink milk. I mean, he's that's prob- fair, he's, right? He's probably too good for milk. Oh, Jesus. What about muscle milk? Y- you got any of that 30% milk? I want 30%, not 2%. Yeah, you right. Don't exist. You right. I need that I need that 30% milk. That whole 30% milk. <laughs> It's still skimmed somehow, but it's still 30%. It was 30% skimmed. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, we love you, Blaine. Oh, shit. Well, hey, I'm going to wrap this up, folks. As always, you can get us on all the different places. We will check you guys later. As always, I'm Nate. And I've been Tyler. And we will see you guys later. Pop your caps back. Fill your brains with shit. Later, guys. Later.